tree, X tree, Saddle X tree. Now the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush, presents the Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. faithful valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with the underworld, risking his life that criminals and racketeers within the law may feel its weight by the sting of the Green Hornet. Now ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure of the Hawk Ridge Gems. The Green Hornet strikes again. The adventures of the Green Hornet are brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. Delicious Orange Crush is made with real fresh oranges. With all its wonderful fresh fruit flavor, sealed in that sunproof Orange Crush brown bottle. The exclusive brown bottle that keeps light out, keeps flavor in. Always look for that exclusive brown bottle and enjoy the one and only... Orange Crush. Jimmy Edmonds, owner of the Swank nightclub, the Plus Coronado, stood in his office and watched the beautiful young cigarette girl push back the panel on the wall. There was a loudspeaker built into the wall behind the panel and above it was a series of switches numbered in sequence from 1 to 40. The girl pushed down one of the switches tentatively. And honey, there's nothing in the world you can't have if you'll only tell Daddy what he wants to hear. Billy, shut that off. Don't be afraid, little honey baby. Daddy's the kind. All those old guys are the same line. I don't want to listen in on any other tables. What about the woman who's wearing the emeralds? They must be worth 50 grand, Jimmy. She and her husband are at table 17. Well, then let's hear what's going on there. Switch on the mic at 17. I said to this Wall Street fellow man, I said, if that yacht of yours is only worth two million dollars, I don't want it. I'm not interested in a cheap boat. You should have seen his jaw drop. <laughs> Turn it off, Billy. What's the matter, Jimmy? Aren't you interested? Uh, certainly. I can tell those Texas oil millionaires a mile off. I don't have to listen to them talk to learn if they're worth bothering with. Tell Michelle to spike the drinks and have Abby in the powder room ready to do her stuff. The cigarette girl, Billy, left Edmund's office. She returned about an hour later. Have you been listening in on 17? Yes. Michelle must have given the woman an extra dose in her drink. She became ill fast. It's all right, though. She went to the powder room and fell asleep. Abby was able to go through her purse. The woman's Mrs. Burton Hawkridge. She had her hotel room key with her. She and her husband are from Houston, Texas. They're in suite 900 at the Barney Plaza. Hand me a sheet of paper till I jot down that information. Edmonds wrote a note, folded the sheet of paper, and slid it inside a package of cigarettes which Billy had opened. As she smoothed the top of the package back into place, Edmonds inquired. Are Phil and Jerry sitting at their regular table? Yes. I'll see that they get the note at once. Uh, 
Cigars, cigarettes. Cigars, cigarettes. What about it, Jerry? You want a cigar? No, Phil. You'll want cigarettes, though, mister. These are special. Oh. Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. Here, keep a change. Thank you, sir. Cigars, cigarettes. Jerry, let's get out of here right away. This means action. Okay. Gentlemen? Now nah, we'll walk. It's okay, Phil. No one's following us. Let's get over near the arc light. And here we are. Ah. Ah. What is it, Phil? 900 Devane Plaza. We have a job, Jerry. Vani Plaza? You have a passkey for there? You name the hotel, I have the passkey. I didn't hop bells in all the good hotels in this town just for the tips. <laughs> the management may not remember I ever worked in their places, but I sure made an impression. An impression of their passkeys on wax. Mr. and Mrs. Burton Hawkridge entered their suite at the Varney Plaza shortly after 5 a.m. Two men leaped from the darkness and grabbed them, pushing handkerchiefs with chloroform tight against the noses and mouths of the couple. Man and wife collapsed. It was easy. Now we bind and gag him, take the diamond she's wearing, then we'll search the place. Yeah, but wait till I put the don't disturb sign on the door. We don't want to be hurried. Undetected, the two crooks made their way down the fire stairway and through a side exit of the hotel. The day employees had not yet come on duty, and no one saw them step into their car and drive away. Police Commissioner Higgins shared with two other persons in the city the knowledge that Britt Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, was the Green Hornet. The other two were Reed's valet Cato and his secretary, Lenore Case. On the afternoon of the robbery, Reed was driving with Higgins when word came over the commissioner's automobile radio of the robbery at the Varney Plaza. Let's get there at once, Reed. This is the fifth hotel jewel robbery in a month. You have a bad situation on your hands, Commissioner. Well, I have more than that. I have a crime wave to contend with and a good chance of being asked to resign. I certainly hope they have some clues to go on in this case. At the hotel in Suite 900, they found Lieutenant Tom Allen in charge of the detectives who had appeared on the scene a short time before. Allen told Higgins and Reed the story of the holdup and ended... I'm betting the crook saw the jewels first at the Coronado. I've noticed that a few of the other jewel thief victims were at the Place Coronado, too, before they were robbed. That's right. Jimmy Edmonds, who runs the place, is a smart operator, though. I've questioned him about the other robberies, and he's had perfect alibis and stories to tell. <laughs> but I'll see him again on this one. Well, let's do that now. We three will go together. In the lobby of the hotel, Reed placed a telephone call to the Daily Sentinel and gave all the known facts of the robbery. Then Higgins and Allen and he went at once to the Place Coronado. 
Except for a porter working in the lobby, the nightclub seemed deserted. The three men walked across the dance floor to the rear of the place. Edmund's office is back here off the corridor opposite the kitchen. He must be in. The radio is on in his office. Jimmy Edmonds opened his office door in response to Alan's knock. The lieutenant introduced his companions, and Edmonds assumed the air of genial host. Well, this is a rare privilege, having such distinguished guests this early in the evening. Or is it afternoon? It's 4.15. Thanks. I lose all track of time when I'm in the office here. Really, I'm a hermit. But it's the way I like to be. No personal contacts and no telephones. I haven't left this office at night in... Oh, I'd say more than a month. Mm, that's getting a point across, Edmonds. But let's get to the reason why we're here. You know why we've come, don't you? I'll hazard a guess. I know that you usually make your visits because you have the quaint notion I may have knowledge of your unsolved gem robberies. So I imagine this time it's about that woman, Mrs. Hawkridge, who was robbed last night. You're right. She was here last night, Edmund. Oh, was she? I wouldn't know about that. I didn't leave the office until after closing That's time. enough. You planted that part already. And I'm sure you have witnesses who'll swear you were with them after you left here. That's very true, Lieutenant. I have prominent witnesses, too, Lieutenant. Oh, gentlemen, pardon me a moment, will you? I'll turn off my radio. I find it difficult to converse when the radio's on. Yeah, that's better, isn't it? I love good music. Keep my set tuned to only one station all the time. WGWT. The best in music, no interruptions, and the news every hour on the hour. All right, all right. Let's forget about your likes and dislikes, Edmund. Now suppose you let me ask some questions. For 15 minutes, Lieutenant Allen, with an occasional assist from Commissioner Higgins, asked questions of Jimmy Edmonds. Edmonds answered with seemingly no attempt at evasion. Gentlemen, only the very rich can afford to come here. And only the very rich can afford jewels of great worth. Meaning that anyone who comes to the Plas Coronado is the target for jewel thieves. Possibly. But not because they come here. It's merely because they own jewels and are foolish enough to wear them in public. Now, you, of course, never see their jewels if you remain, as you say you do, alone in your office all evening. You're perfectly right, Lieutenant. But there are others who work in the club who have contact with your bejeweled clientele. Waiters and the like. I'd like to question them. Certainly. However, they don't arrive here until 7 o'clock. Then I'll return at 7 o'clock. Commissioner, as far as I'm concerned, that's all there is for now. Well, we'll go then, Lieutenant. I'll return at 7, Edmund. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Goodbye. Outside, Reed stopped his two companions before they could enter Commissioner Higgins' car. Before we do or say anything more, I want to know something. Lieutenant, what time did you get to the Varney Plaza this afternoon? On the Hawkers case? Yes. 3.50, exactly. The call to headquarters came in at 3.41. Did you notify the newspapers at once? No, I... I don't know that they've been notified yet. Well, they have been. I called the Sentinel before we left the hotel. Ah. But that was a few minutes past four. Why are you citing all these times, Reed? Because when we arrived at Edmund's office, the newspapers weren't on the street with the story. Station WGWT doesn't interrupt its programs for news bulletins. And the four o'clock newscast was over. Hey, Mr. Reed, you know I didn't get that. Why, Edmunds gave himself away immediately, didn't he? The first time that's ever happened. What are you talking about? Commissioner... Edmonds said he thought Lieutenant Allen had come to see him about the Hawk Ridge jewel robbery. Don't you see? Why, of course. 
There's no way he could have learned about the robbery, is there? Not if it didn't come over the radio before we arrived at his place. I'll call WGWT now. I've just talked to the WGWT newsroom. The 5 o'clock broadcast was the first time they mentioned the robbery. That means Edmonds must have had knowledge of the robbery. Let's go back... No, Commissioner. Edmonds will undoubtedly come up with some explanation for his slip. If he thinks we didn't notice it... Well, what do you think, Lieutenant? If that's the case, he might get careless again, providing we give him enough rope. That's my thought. I think it might be a good idea to try and get him a bit jittery, if such a thing's possible. Oh, I don't think it is. I've been trying to get something on him for too long to think that may happen. Well, anyway, let's... Let's have dinner that night. Commissioner, you, Axford, in this case, is supposed to dine at my home this evening. Suppose I invite you to the Plus Coronado instead. Anything you say, Reed. But I can't understand what we could possibly learn by dining there. Perhaps we'll learn nothing. But it'll be interesting to observe how Edmonds conducts his business from his isolated cell. I'll call Miss Case Naxford and tell him we'll pick him up at her home at 8.30. All right. Meanwhile, I'll go back to headquarters. Oh, Lieutenant, we'd like you to join us after you've completed your questioning. I'll be glad to, Mr. Reed. Thank you. Lenore Case and Axford accepted Reed's change in plans graciously. At the Place Coronado, the head waiter, Michel, was surprised when he saw his noted visitors, Reed and Higgins, were their guests. He raised his voice as he greeted them. Commissioner, Mr. Reed. For two prominent men like you, we reserve table 23. Billy, if these gentlemen desire service, you will take care of them, please. Commissioner Higgins and Mr. Britt Reed at table 23. Yes, yes, of course. Billy, the cigarette girl, hurried away, and the head waiter led Axford and Miss Case toward a table. Reed lagged behind, talking low to Commissioner Higgins. Commissioner, you go to the table. I'm going to Edmund's office immediately. Hmm? Why? To waste no time getting the wheels in motion. To let him know we're here. Oh, all right. Well, find out where Alan is, too. I don't see him. All right. Say, I think Edmunds may know we're here already. Oh, do you see him? No, but the cigarette girl's gone directly to his office. Announcing us, I imagine. Yeah, I'll be back shortly, Commissioner. Reed went behind the heavy drapes that led to the rear of the club as Higgins went on with the others to the table assigned by the head waiter. Reed then walked along the corridor that separated the kitchen from Edmund's office. He was just about to knock on the door when the sound of voices inside the room caused him to halt in surprise. Casey, you sit here. When Reed comes back from Edmund's office, he'll sit on the other side. Well, that's Axford's voice. Commissioner, I have flowers, though. They're beautiful, Miss Casey. A waiter, we'll wait before placing an order. Somehow that man inside is listening to the people at our table. Billy, cut that off. That fellow said Reed was coming to this office. You know, I think I'll get my shirt. I'll watch out for them. Oh, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Thank you. Oh. Hello, Edmonds. Commissioner Higgins and I have returned as guests. Well, this is a surprise. Come inside, Mr. Reed. What brings you here again so soon? Britt, his mind churning, saw no evidence of a loudspeaking system or electrical hookup of any kind in the room. He inquired about Lieutenant Allen, then left Edmund's office quickly. A plan was in his mind. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Say, fellas and girls, have those goblins and spooks started ringing your doorbell yet? 
Well, don't let them scare you. I bet all they'll do is just say, trick or treat. And then you can say, why, treat, of course, and treat them to delicious Orange Crush. Yes, Orange Crush is a grand treat on Halloween or any time. It's the most refreshing drink in the world. It sparkles, it tingles, it tastes so delightfully tangy. You know, Orange Crush is made from real oranges. Fresh, juicy, tree-ripened oranges from sunny California. There's nothing artificial about Orange Crush. No artificial flavoring, no artificial coloring. That golden, fresh fruit Orange Crush goodness comes right from nature. It's one drink that's actually good for you. You can drink all you want of swell-tasting Orange Crush. So, enjoy Orange Crush this Halloween night. Give it to your friends and those trick-or-treat spooks. It's the perfect Halloween drink. It's even a Halloween color, orange. If you don't have plenty on hand right now, tell Mom you want to get some right away. Get it in the six-bottle handy packs, and be sure to ask for Orange Crush by name. Don't say orange. Say, I want Orange Crush, because there's a world of difference. You'll recognize Orange Crush by its famous crinkly brown bottle, the sunproof bottle that keeps light out and keeps flavor in. Ask for, insist on genuine Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Now back to the Green Hornet. Reed walked back through the drapes into the club and hurried to a telephone booth in the lobby. Cato, listen to me. Do you know where the Place Coronado is? Good. I'll tell you what to do and where to meet me. Get the black beauty. Reed returned to his table, his manner apologetic. Miss Case, Commissioner Naxford, I'm sorry. You'll have to excuse me at least for a while. Excuse you? Why? Is something wrong, Mr. Reed? Well, I was in Mr. Edmonds' office when it occurred to me that I'd neglected a matter of personal business. I'll take care of it now and get back here shortly. Uh, by the way, Commissioner, Lieutenant Allen tells hey, me... Look at Reed, Commander... will you know? He's not being polite, whispering to Commissioner Higgins like that. He's telling him about Lieutenant Allen, that's all. I know, but if I were to whisper in company, you'd say I'm that sorry, I... I'm sorry, Axford. I was really asking Commissioner Higgins to pick up the check in the event I'm forced to stay at the office. I'll try to return, though. I'll see you all. Have fun. He's going to the office, he said. But I thought he, he has was... personal business to attend to there, Axford. Some editorials to check and... Oh, come on, let's not talk shop. We'll order dinner and keep the conversation light. We'll do that, huh, Miss Case? Keep the conversation light? Uh, yes, Commissioner. Yes. Britt Reed took a taxi cab outside the Place Coronado and rode a few blocks. He left the taxi at that point. Here you are. Thanks, Carl. Then walked back till he came to a darkened side street. He found Cato waiting there in the shadow of a building. Oh, here is letter, Mr. Britt. I read in it all the things you say. I put Green Hornet seal on it. Good. I'll plant that. I have gas bombs, a gas gun, and Green Hornet mask and car. 
also have black coat and hat for you to wear. Then let's go to the Black Beauty and I'll get them. Black Beauty parked in alley down street. Uh, Mr. Britt, oh, you know how Rear Club is laid out? Yes, I studied it as I left Edmund's office tonight. The corridor runs from the club into the alley. There's a large switch box on the wall inside the entrance near the kitchen. Now we know the kitchen window looks out on the alley, and that's all we need to know. Let's go, kiddo. The Black Beauty reached the darkened alley behind the Plus Coronado kitchen without incident. The Green Hornet ordered the car backed into the area so that it might take off again quickly in case of pursuit. You wait until I get inside that rear entrance before you throw the gas bomb through the window. I'll need time to get to the light switch. Oh, yes, Mr. Good. The Plus Coronado kitchen was a beehive of activity as usual. Suddenly, the entire kitchen was plunged into darkness. The lights are out! Hey, what's up? Then the window crashed, and suddenly, acrid fumes filled the room. Yes, we are being gassed! Yes. The lights in Jimmy Edmonds' office had gone out, too. The club owner groped his way to the door, opened it, and stepped into the pitch-black corridor. He could hear dance music from the club proper. Across the corridor, he heard the sound of people in the kitchen, choking and sputtering. Then he smelled the fumes. Placing a handkerchief over his nose and mouth, he crossed the corridor and plunged through the swinging doors to the kitchen. And as he did, the Green Hornet groped in through the door to Edmund's office and closed the door behind him. He clicked on a pinpoint flashlight, played it along the wall, and stopped it at the divan. He hurried to the divan, pulled it back slightly from the wall, then crouched behind it. Jimmy Edmund, still protecting his nose and mouth, left the kitchen and returned to the corridor. He made his way groping to the electric switch box. It was open and he pulled the switch down. Immediately, the lights in the corridor went on. And then he saw the letter propped on top of the fuse box. Edmonds grabbed it and opened it. The seal at the end of it caught his eye. The green hornet. What's he doing? Jimmy, Jimmy, is something wrong? I saw the lights out back here. You mean the people out front didn't hear what's been happening in the kitchen? No, is something wrong? Is something wrong? Someone threw a gas bomb. What? But never mind. Let's get into my office quick. I want to read this. Inside the office, Edmonds finished reading the Green Hornet's note. Billy, this fellow, the Green Hornet, says I gave myself away to the police today. He says that Lieutenant Allen has cracked my alibi and knows who pulled the hawkeridge job. Oh, but that Allen Flatfoot is sitting at the table with the police commissioner now. You think maybe they spotted Phil and Jerry? The boys are at their table tonight? Sure. The way you want it, isn't it? If they disappeared, they... Billy, take a note to Phil. I'll write it this minute. I think he'd better take the jewels from his place and get them to Rankin tonight. Rankin? Who's he? The jeweler, our fence. He has all the other stuff hidden away in his place and... Never mind. Just wait till I write this. All right. There you are. Put it in a cigarette package. Don't go to that table directly. Move around a while and see if that Alan is watching Phil and Jerry before you give them the note. Okay, but what happened in the kitchen? You didn't tell Let me. Let that go. Get out of here. I'll listen in on that table where Higgins and Alan are. They haven't said anything worth listening to since they came in. Maybe they'll change soon. You're getting yourself all upset. Go on, will you? Green Hornet. Why should he gas my kitchen force just to drop a note that says... I'd better put on the listening box first. Edmonds walked to the wall and slid back the panel. He was about to press the button beneath the number marked 23. When he saw the movement behind the divan, he turned quickly. The Green Hornet! With gas! <coughs> now to get out of here. 
Before leaving, the Green Hornet scribbled a note and placed his seal on it. Then he left Edmund's office and ran through the corridor to the rear of the club. A man in a chef's cap was in the alley gasping for breath, and the Green Hornet grabbed him. This is better than I expected I can use you. If you don't want to get killed, go into that club and yell for the police. The police commissioner is at table 23. Take this letter to him. Don't, don't use that gun. I'll take your letter. I'll do what you say. Trembling, the man turned and with letter in hand rushed through the corridor to the main body of the nightclub. The Green Hornet watched for a moment, then turned and disappeared in the alley. Axford was the one who saw the chef first. Hey, Casey, look at the chef waving something over his head like it was a flag. Is this the floor floor? Help us, help us, police, commissioner! Police, quick! Lieutenant Allen. Yes, I hear him, commissioner. Hey, you! The crowd was on its feet, fascinated by the man in white who waved a letter wildly and shouted. Police! The Green Hornet! Police! Well, what's the matter? I'm a policeman. Here's my badge. What's wrong? The Green Hornet, he give me this. See? Yeah, let me read that. Uh, I have the letter, Alan. The Green Hornet, he said. Commissioner, what's in that letter you're reading? Say, this is it. Alan, read this. Yeah. Edmund's in his office, knocked out, it says. And he says the cigarette girl will... Look, she with two men at that side table. Hey, you! Stop her, I'll shoot! Stop her, I'll shoot! As Phil and Jerry started to run toward the lobby, Brick Reed, now minus the dark coat he had worn as the Green Hornet, appeared in the doorway. Yes, Mr. Reed! Mr. Reed! He did it, Miss Case. Oh, Reed, stop those men! Don't let them get away! Glory be. Reed knocked him out with a punch. And Alan's caught the other. Oh, great. I'll get the girl and we'll hurry back to Edmund's office. Here you, miss. Cigarette girl. I want you. The next morning, Axford was in Brick Reed's office reviewing the climax to the events of the night before. And what we didn't find out at once, that girl Billy told in her confession. Reed, that fellow Edmonds could listen in on every table in the place. The panel and the loudspeakers were there for us to see when we went in. Yes, I saw them. Well, that's right. You got in at the tail end, didn't you? Mr. Reed caught one of the robbers. Oh, I almost forgot that. You got the one that used to be a bellhop and who had the hotel pass key. As he was really Edmund's most important partner. Oh, I don't think he was. In the excitement of the night, the most important one got away. You mean the Green Hornet? Well, who else? It was his falling out with Edmund's that made him gas bomb the kitchen. Then he went and squealed on his partner, telling about the listening-in machine and the cigarette girl taking a message to the two crooks. He and even they... gave the name of the fence who had all the stolen jewelry. That's right. He gave the whole thing away. And got away himself, the biggest crook of the all. You still talking about the Green Hornet? Sure. You don't think I'm talking about Reed, do you? Hornet story for today. Another exciting story brought to you by the most refreshing drink in the world. The drink that's actually good for you because it's made with real oranges. The one and only Orange Crush. It sparkles, it tingles, it makes you feel fresh again. 
Always keep several bottles in your refrigerator. And always remember, the handy way to do that is to get the handy pack. Six bottles of Orange Crush in a handy carrying case. This program is a feature of the Green Hornet Incorporated. Created by George W. Trendle. Produced by Trendle Campbell Muir Incorporated. Directed by Charles D. Livingston. And edited by Fran Stryker. The part of the Green Hornet is played by Jack McCarthy. This copyrighted feature originates in Detroit, and all characters, places, and incidents used are fictitious. The Green Hornet is brought to you every Wednesday and Friday at the same time by the most refreshing drink in the world, Orange Crush. That's the drink you like best of all. Try it. Next time, ask for Orange Crush. But remember, don't say orange, say Orange Crush. O-R-A-N-G-E-C-R-U-S-H. Orange Crush. Next Wednesday, listen to the Green Hornet again in the exciting story of danger entitled A Friday Morning in the Mountains. And now till Wednesday, this is Fred Foy saying so long from Orange Crush. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs> <laughs>